Hi, I'm Chloe Canning. Welcome back for season two on Lube of Courage. Luminate Leadership acknowledges the traditional Estonians of the land, which we were called this podcast, the Yagura and Terrible People. We pay respect to the elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Lead with Courage, the podcast that celebrates the bold and inspiring stories of leaders making a difference. We're your hosts, Andy and Cherie Canning, and together we'll dive into the minds of the trailblazers, the risk takers, and those who embrace life with a growth mindset. On today's episode of Lead with Courage, we welcome Charles Street. Charles is a strategist, an adventurer, and a TEDx speaker. He is the co-founder of Inquasi Adventures, and today on the podcast, he's going to talk about how Inquasi Adventures, through the partnership of Bikes for ERP, have changed the lives of over 100 school students. We're so excited and inspired by the work that Charles and the Inquasi Adventures team are doing that we just couldn't wait to get him on the podcast and so he can tell his story and share his passion and inspiration with us all. Welcome to the podcast, Charles. Charles Street, welcome to the Lead with Courage podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, welcome. thank you. We're really grateful to to have you on here today. Um you know, who said that sliding into your DMs is uh, dead? And I appreciate that, um, you know, as maybe a couple of months ago now, you kind of kindly sent me a message and we connected and we caught up prior to, to discuss potentially coming on and, and sharing your wonderful story through your life as well as, um, and forgive me if I get this wrong, but is it Inquasi Adventures? That's right, yeah, Inquasi Adventures, yep. Yeah, beautiful. And then the story and the inspiration behind that. I think um, I'm excited. To, I know a little bit about it from seeing your TED Talk, but I'm excited just to even learn quite a bit more. So thank you. Yeah, great. Uh, thank you very much. And um, yeah, like I mentioned, when we connected, um, leadership is a big passion of mine. And yeah, just uh, when I saw what you guys are doing and listened to a few podcasts, it was um, great. So thanks for, for yeah the content you're providing. Oh, and thank you for being part of it. It's really wonderful. Um, One of the questions, well, the question we love to kick off the podcast with is to ask our guests, what does lead with courage mean to you? So Charles, what does lead with courage mean to you, please? Yeah, thanks. Um, Yeah, I I thought it's such a great question, actually. But, um, you know, for for me, um, I kind of use the term often of, you know, when you play in the grey, um, and I think to me that kind of talks to, you know, the world is around us isn't black and white. You know, it's not a mathematical formula. One plus one will always equal two. And so I think when you're a leader and, um, you know, really kind of stepping to that courageous uh, uh, point is really about kind of saying I'm comfortable to play in a grey space, which is, you know, ambiguous, um, you're not always going to have the answers or you're not always going to have it all worked out, but being comfortable to step out and lead a team or kind of put yourself out there um, to to kind of play in that space. And I think, you know, that obviously then requires you as a leader to be adaptable, um, mm. to be open to change, um, sometimes humble enough to be wrong, I guess. Yes, um, yes. Because surprises will come up. But I think it's, you know, expecting those Surprises will happen, expecting things will go not according to plan. Um, I don't always like to say it goes wrong because, you know, you don't actually know how it may play out. Um, But it's that courage to say, you know, we're going to go this direction. We're not sure exactly how we'll get there. We'll work it out. Um, And that's a grey space that I feel is is kind of a big thing for me. Yeah, I love that. And it's uh, I 
particularly takeaway when you say it's not when it's gone wrong. It's just not the plan that you might have imagined. That's such a good takeaway. Thank you. Um, you know, it's not every person that has the opportunity to say that they're a TED TEDx speaker. Um, that is definitely on my list one day of, of what I'd love to achieve. And, and you are one of those people. So um, can you tell us a little bit about who is Charles and then what are some of those, I guess, pieces that led um, to your TEDx and, and to the work that you're doing as well? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so I guess a bit of background myself. So I, um, uh, you know, born, grew up in South Africa. Um, my my parents moved from Joburg to Perth um, when I was about 11. Um, mm-hmm. So it's uh, quite a while back now, not to give away <laughs> my age, but. Uh, 11 um, years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, that was probably one of the big kind of life moments of moving countries. So I grew up Afrikaans, moving to an English only kind of speaking country was, mm. was a big move. And, um, yeah, so I basically did my kind of high school and university in Perth. Um, being South Africa, I played a lot of rugby, um, obviously. Um, and yeah, so when I finished uni, um, I decided to go back to South Africa for a year initially to play a bit of rugby, um, casual friends. Um, and you know, like life, life does, it kind of plays out differently. And, um, you know, I ended up working, um, on the graduate program for a big bank in South Africa. Um, met my wife, so that gave me a good enough reason to stay a bit longer. Yeah. Um, and, and so we got married in, in South Africa and then, yeah, we made the decision to move back to Australia. And so that was kind of my second uh, time back in Australia. And we moved to Sydney, um, because that's where most of the banking, I guess, work is. Um, and yeah, we lived there for 12 years. And then in that time, uh, our family grew three kids. So we've got, you know, two young daughters, um, and a young son. Um, so I think my wife said, you've now got your son, that's it, stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then we made the big move to Perth, back to Perth, because that's where my folks are, and it's always nice to be close to parents. So when the job opportunity came up, we we made the big move to Perth, which in itself was a bit of an adventure because we kind of drove from Sydney to Perth during oh, COVID. Oh, wow. So that during was, COVID. Yeah, which in itself, you know, if you talk about playing in the grey, that was um, – yeah. You know, a strong dark grey, I guess. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I think that the TEDx talk, you know, um, again about four years ago, uh, had this idea because of my passion around adventure, outdoor, um, in particular, South Africa's got some unique animals, and and then just the passion about making a difference, and so um, I, I kind of I've, uh, one of my friends. Cornell, who's part of Inquiry Adventures, we've basically grown up together like brothers. Um, so we've known each other since we we're eight. And um, yeah, we said, how can we bring this together into a idea that we can share with others and kind of take other people on adventures, um, life-changing adventures? So um that's how Inquiry Adventures started because I've I think I've you know I've had the fortunate opportunity of living in Australia and South Africa. And so I I got this concept of uh, especially when I looked at my my uh, kids and my young girls, um, mm. the world they're growing up in Sydney was so different to how I grew up in South Africa. And so mm. um, the the idea of Inquisitive Adventures was how can I take um, people from Australia and expose them to this different world, um, take them out of their comfort zone, 
in a safe and controlled way, um, but share that reset life moment, um, reflect a little bit on kind of, you know, what life is, what's really important in life, and then uh, reconnect with with what's important. And so that's how we started the Inquadi Adventures idea was, um, you know, know, let's take people to South Korea, get them to experience that unique wildlife and and immerse in nature, but also go and make a difference in someone else's life so you can kind of in the communities as well perspective but yeah yeah it's um uh fascinating i grew up in sydney myself and i have a few friends who immigrated either from south africa or zimbabwe um and so many of them would then share as teenagers it was just so hard for me to process what they how they explained even in their houses with like the gates inside their houses for safety and things like this and um, in gated communities that they lived in. And just when you're saying about growing, uh, you know, bringing up kids now in Australia and them having that perception of what growing up would have been like in South Africa at the time as well. Um, yeah, it, it's it's worlds apart, I suppose. And it's so incredibly... It, from that, I mean, from when you would have been growing up to now, you know, the 11 years ago, of course. Um, but, you know, I feel like um, that world, somebody, I've seen so many times where people say, once you go to Africa, your life, you know, from as a non-African person, when you go to Africa, your life will be changed forever. And there's something just magical. And and Andy and I, um, we did go to Africa on our honeymoon a few years ago. And, and I think that it, it's so true. It is so, so true. It just leaves this beautiful mark on you that you are completely changed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, and I, I kind of often, you know, I, I talk about it, you know, I saw how my my girls grew up and I, mm. I think I said with, with Andy as well, but, uh, you know, there, there was a moment when I just started in Quasi Adventures and, um I took my daughter, went to like a Westfield shopping center and we kind of walked in and the first thing she said to me was, you know, are we going to have a, a baby Chino and sushi? And I was, <laughs> you know, she was about three or four. Um, and, you know, I guess I paused, but two things I realized. One was, you know, wow, what a different world she's growing up in because I didn't know what sushi was until I got to uni. <laughs> um, but and and there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's that's mm. that's actually how we'd love everyone else to to be in in this kind of safe and and you know fortunate world. But um, but on the flip side, I realised this kind of almost bubble that you know um, all these great things. And so you know the, the biggest thing for me was you know growing up in South Africa taught me how to be resilient, resourceful, um, because you just have to be things just kind of happen you don't have everything and and things go wrong and stuff and so um how can I create that for my kids to mm. in a way that I can know that they will be set up for life when they kind of grow up and and so yeah yeah and it's beautiful because I I love how you've said that there's nothing wrong with the sushi and the baby chino but also um I feel really passionate about exposing our kids who are fortunate enough to grow and have these experiences growing up in the safety and what 
what opportunities, their education, the things that they have afforded to them living in these communities here, but realizing that not every child and and certainly um, not every young girl, but and not every child around the world has that same opportunity. So that perspective is so important to be able to contribute, to give back where we can. And also I think that gratitude perspective for for our kids here, it's so critical, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's, um, you know, definitely from when we started in Guise Adventures, that was, you know, a big part of our, our vision. It, you know, it's changing lives one adventure at a time. So if we can take um, people with us on this this amazing life-changing adventure um, and, and you get that bit of exposure of uh, what a different world looks like, um, what are some of the challenges uh, those communities, kids in those communities uh, have, and then hopefully that creates a platform for you to kind of reflect a little bit on on your own uh, life or situation, and then you know coming back to Australia, you hopefully reconnect with reconnect. what's really important. Yeah, I love I love those words that keep coming back. That reflect and reconnect. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, can you share with the listeners who might not have seen your TEDx uh, the story about the cycles and the young girl um, that you shared with us? Oh, that you shared on the talk. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so just for the listeners, so part of our inquiries adventure. So we we partner with an organisation called um, Bikes for ERP, and ERP stands for Elephants, rhinos, and people, and so the the people side is where you know the bicycle comes in, and and, and I guess it's you know very much part of the leadership journey as well because mm. you know uh, leadership in that is not all about being completely alone. So we you know partner with uh, Nikolai, who's one of the founders of of this, and you know they they kind of do a lot of this work with the bicycles and kids, and and so the the need there is some. Kids walk very long distances to school, um, some you know twenty kilometers a day, um, just to get to school and 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 back. And so, uh, their bikes for ERP is this amazing organization who we partner with. And and so, every year when we do our adventures, we um, fundraise uh, money in Australia, and then the idea is that adventures go with us, and we go and deliver the actual bicycles we've we've fundraised and bought. And so last year October was a trip like that and we ended up going to an area called Madikwe in South Africa and that's about three, four hours quite remote driving. Mm-hmm. Um, takes about a day to get there. Wow. Um, and from Joburg? A day yeah, from, from, Joburg? from Joburg, Pretoria. Um, yeah. and, um, and part of it is because you can't drive very fast, you're kind of going on off-road kind of, mm-hmm. you know, quite remote areas. Um yeah, and so this is amazing experience when we kind of build the bicycles in the morning, and then the kids arrive, and there's a big, big kind of ceremony, and we hand the, the bicycles out to each of the, the students. But not all the kids can actually ride a bicycle. It's the first time they've ever received something like a bicycle, and so um, this little girl called Ria um, approached me because her brakes wasn't wasn't quite right, and I kind of helped to fix it. And I asked her, "Do you know how to ride your bicycle?" And she said, "No, but." I'll learn. Um, and, you know, that was amazing because it was just almost, she was just, you know, I'm, of course I'm going to learn this. It's not a, it's not an issue. Yeah. Um, and I said, let me help you. So uh, let's go around the block. And I didn't realize, obviously being quite remote, the block is about two kilometers big, but, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I was, her, yeah, exactly. And I was running, obviously holding the bike and then helping her balance and, 
Um, uh, you know, but what struck me was this little girl, not once did she complain or say, I can't do this or, you know, I'm, I'm scared or what if I fall? It was all about, you know, I can, I'm going to I'm gonna learn this. And she said, you know, by the time we get back to school, I'm going to be able to ride my bicycle like she had this goal. Um, and I stopped about halfway because obviously I was getting tired from running. <laughs> um, and asked her, you know, what do you want to be one day when you grow up? Um, and she said she wanted to be a social worker, which, you know, was amazing because this little girl who now has much easier access to education actually now has a much better opportunity to actually finish school and then go to university. And actually what she wants to do is come back and help the community. Um, so it's amazing. this amazing ripple effect of, you know, one bicycle can change a life and empower her now to make a difference in her community. Um, and that's a kind of, you know, stories that I just love through these adventures is you never know, you know, what a difference one bicycle can make. Um, and, and, you know, it's small things. Everyone can play that role of just making a small difference in someone's life. It's incredible. And I remember you um, stating, I think you had a letter from a principal of one of the schools, if I record this correctly, and that he'd said about the increase that the kids who then had the bicycles who could get to school easier um, or more regularly or safely, that then their results, like the results of their academic results were was it something like 30% to 80 something percent? Yeah, it's it's phenomenal actually. Like, yeah, you're right. So so we got this letter from from the principal um and um he just wanted to say, you know, thank you very much because he didn't realize how much this was going to energize the whole school. Um and um you know, their academic pass rate. So, you know, a lot of these kids would drop out of school because they just find it too hard to go to school or exhausting. Um, and so their pass rate went from, you know, 35% to above 85%. And these are, wow. you know, if you think about 10 kids in year 12, uh, three to four would only finish. Now eight to nine are finishing wow. uh, school. And, um, you know, their academic record compared to other schools in the area went to number one because they are now outperforming. And it's all just, you know, um, giving these kids a much safer and easier access to school and energizing them. And the other story I love is just, um, you know, we've heard stories of some of the students who finished school who've then handed their bicycle down to a younger student because they've seen the value in having this this tool to get to school, basically. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible, Charles. And, you know, it's so easy for us to sit here in in our baby chino sushi world in Australia at times. And um, it's not until you're, you hear stories like this um, of what you and, and the, the people on your adventures are contributing to that you realise like this kid's 20 kilometres a day and and education is, I guess we take it for granted here. We have an incredible education system and you can pay for it or you could get an incredible education for free. Um, and it's just part of life, isn't it? But we we forget that it's not that accessible and not that easy, but education is everything for um, for the future for these kids. So, yeah, it's an incredible contribution. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely, um, you know, um, and, and you know, Mandela's often quoted of saying, you know, that the, the greatest gift you can give someone is education. Um, and I think, you know, um, like you say, sometimes we take it for granted because we mm. kind of just assume, 
our kids will go to school and they'll finish year 12 and 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 that but i think um it's great and some of the schools we've had involved in fundraising um have used these as great tools to speak to their students in their school to say just look at the comparison between um you know how you got to school this morning or um just yes. the, some of the photos show the buildings of the schools and you know they the buildings over there have got no tech here, you know, kids have got all the tech in the classroom. And so it's just, again, it's an opportunity to create that perspective. Yeah. Um, that helps you become, a, you know, a bit more resilient to say, you know, it's okay if um, my bus is five minutes late, it's not the end of the world. You know? Yes, isn't it? It is a massive perspective injection. And now I feel like I need to show that um, talk to our daughter who still actually is not very good at riding a bike. So I need to say, hey, come on. What are you complaining about, young lady? <laughs> I think next time, next time, just what you were saying before as well, like next time she, a toy breaks or something like that, first thing she does is like, dad, it's broken. Can you go to the shop and get a new one? And uh, you know, it's uh, the ultimate perspective injection. It's like, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna play with its broken pieces and we're gonna love it back to life. It's just gonna be a different version of itself. Yeah. And yeah. um, yeah, wow, that's so incredible. How, how often do you get back to um, South Africa, Charles? Um, yeah, we we try and do the tours now once a year. So I'm I'm going again in October, um, and then. Um, yeah, so so um, th- again through the partnership with the the organisation, we fundraise for about a year to try and get enough funds to buy enough bicycles to make the drop worthwhile, um, and then um, yeah, we we kind of do that once a year. Maybe you know uh, our our kind of vision is that hopefully one year you know it'll grow and we can maybe go twice a year and mm. it'll just kind of grow from there or. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. How many people are typically on this um, annual adventure? Yeah, so we've been we, tricky with COVID, of course, but yeah, 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 COVID gave us a bit of a speed hump. But um, yeah, we we um, we take a maximum of eight adventures, and, okay. and the reason for that is um, so the first part is the bicycle drop that we do, um, but it's once we get to South Africa, there's um, through the bikes for ERP organization, there's about forty. 50 volunteers that come along with us um because we need a bit of um you know people power to build the bicycles and and get there um but then the second part of the tour is, is where we go for a, on a hiking safari for four days mm. um into into really immersed in the, the kind of bushveld of south africa um and and there's two options one is completely you know live breathe sleep in the bush eat everything for four days and the other one is kind of every day you go for a hike but you sleep a bit more comfortable at in the evenings but the, the eight is basically a safe number that we can actually go and walk in the middle of of the bushfold where the lions and elephants and all those animals roam um and and we can keep everyone safe and, and in a group so yeah how fantastic and is it uh just adults i imagine not kids on those trips. Are you thinking of the next canning holiday? Yeah, yeah, year? I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, which it might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, the minimum age we we kind of uh, allow is sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's kind of a, a, a good age where yeah, yeah kids are they're, kind of they're engaged, they're old enough, engaged, they're yeah, yeah, yeah old enough, 
old enough to fight off a lion. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that, but old enough to appreciate where they are. And yeah, that's great. That's great. Fantastic. Um, How long have you been doing the adventures for Charles? Um, so we, we, yeah, in quite adventures been running for about three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we obviously, um, you know, we, we started in quite adventures just before COVID, obviously not knowing COVID was going to hit. And then, then we got this, you know, everyone got this, this big thing happened. Um, so there was about two years. We couldn't actually do the adventures themselves, but we still did the fundraising. Yeah. And, um, Cornell and Annika, who both are, you know, partners in, in Inquisitive Ventures in, based in South Africa. So um, they still went to the bicycle drops um, and made sure we delivered the bicycles each year. Um, oh, so that great. part still continued, which is really good um, because we could still continue the kind of real impact of that. Um, and then last year we kicked off again with the tours officially. Um, so, yeah, so, so wonderful. Been- well, we'll make sure that um, in the show notes here, we'll send uh, put some links in if people want to do the fundraising. Obviously, the adventures themselves, but also schools and communities if you want to do the fundraising and, and get behind that as well. So, we'll make sure that we share those links. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Charles, I'm curious to know about um, TEDx and preparing for TEDx. Had you done much um, keynote speaking before, or you know, no doubt through your career in um you know different banking worlds and services that you'd probably had your fair share of death by powerpoint presentations perhaps but um you know in terms of out and out keynote speaking could you talk a little bit to what it took to prepare for that how did you kind of you know become selected in it what what did that look like yeah yeah good good question because um yeah i think um so through my work, I've you know, and, and kind of my my kind of day job is in strategy, strategy development stuff, and so you know, I'm fairly used to doing presentations, but you know, um, like, um, uh, you know, but there's usually lots of PowerPoint involved, and uh, you know, talking about a particular topic, so that's that's pretty easy. Um, TEDx, um, you know, and through usual how these things kind of evolve through, you know, small business or business, um, you know, networks uh, from, so I connected with um, uh, an old friend of mine and and she organised TEDx for, for Albany and and so there was an opportunity to, um, you know, form part of the, the, the kind of topic that they were looking at, uh, which was, you know, about imagining, uh, uh, you know, and, and so that was great, but the experience was phenomenal because, you know, we talk about kind of courage and, and, and that, and um, TEDx have obviously got a very specific way in which they protect the brand and, and the, the quality of speakers. And so it was really interesting to go through that experience of, you know, make sort of topic, was relevant, um, so being selected to kind of actually take part of it, um, then writing a you know ten to twelve minute talk, um, and you know it goes through a bit of a process, which is great because you understand you know they want to make sure that it's telling a story, it's not a strategy presentation <laughs> or you know that that kind of thing. Um, but I think the the bit that really was kind of uh, if you talk about the grey or uncomfortable bit, is um, learning to do your talk um, with no notes, um, and and really then getting up on the stage and looking at all these people, and you kind of I'm about to like tell the story, and it needs you know um, 
So the, no yeah, pressure. There was no pressure at all. Yeah, no, <laughs> no pressure. And there's, you know, um, and you know, to be transparent, like there's lots of rehearsals, obviously, and I've been practicing speech. And then the day before we did our kind of final rehearsal, and uh, you know, I, I actually, you know, out of everyone there, I actually um, hit a blank when I did mine, which was the first time that ever happened, like to me in presentations. But I just. Yeah, I think it was just one of those those things, and it was, um, you know, the moment was a bit confronting because I was like, you know, I know this, and uh, I've been through this, you know, hundreds of times and stuff. But um, again, it's just one of those things you, you know, um, you have to learn to kind of accept and yeah. take a step back and think about what's happened and why this has happened and how am I going to quickly recover from this. Um, but then, obviously, on the day, it all went. Went, went smoothly but yeah good, the, good the moment to kind of yeah go through that my reaction is like well better that day than the next <laughs> better exactly. your day on the yeah. rehearsal than <laughs> in front of the crowd but yeah it's yeah. it's crazy yeah. the what our mind can do to us right like the tricks it can play on us and just draw a blank when of course you know the speech but yeah, yeah. it's it's wild how do you mentally recover from that yeah i think it's um i think it's you know just being, um, you know, accepting that, you know, we're not perfect, um, um, being vulnerable enough to kind of say, yep, that's happened. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it now. Like, you know, I have to step out of that because uh, I think, Shuri, like you mentioned, you, sometimes you're your biggest enemy. Yes. Um, and so you can fester on this thing and then start going down this negative spiral of, you know, yeah. um, you're not going to be ready for tomorrow and, you know, what if this happened tomorrow and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, so for myself it was, you know, I guess I've learned quite a bit of this from sporting as well where, you know, you sometimes have a really bad game um, but you need to kind of reflect on it. It's important to kind of find out what what maybe has gone wrong or, or you know, where you're underprepared or you're not focused or, or whatever, but then learn to kind of, you know, pick up and move on. Um, and so that for me was just, you know, um, um, that, like, like you said, that wasn't the moment. So it was okay. It was only the 10 people in the room who saw that happened. And so I just kind of went back and went through the notes and, um, my, my big thing for me in terms of how I, uh, reset a little bit is go for a run or training. And so, you know, I just did all those things that I knew would kind of work for me. Um, and so I was ready for the next day. So yeah, it's just getting that kind of confidence back and and uh, knowing that you've done all the things that you have to see. You've known, known it all. It's just maybe a bump in the road. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh yes. It it's really resonating with me. We literally um, maybe two weeks ago we had a big women in leadership conference called Ignite that we run, and we had two hundred odd people there, and. I delivered a keynote speech, but usually I'm running workshops. So it's a really different, it is a bit of a different vibe because you're talking about concepts and, you know, leadership traits and what have you. Um, and I'll throw the odd story in here and there, of course, but just comes out naturally. But I had this keynote and it was really quite a personal um courageous, vulnerable conversation to the point where Andy even said, oh, I haven't, we've been together 12 and a half years. And he said, oh, I haven't heard you talk about a lot of those things publicly before. So it was really, really raw for me. And I think I forgot my <laughs> where I was so many times. I'm probably being a bit critical of myself, but there were moments I'd be standing and I had to come back and look at my notes. And I, I think 
what what just happened? Like I do this all the time, but you know, our mind sometimes, whatever it is. So it really resonates. I'm like, oh good, yeah. it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it happens to the best of us. But I, I do, I think um I love and will uh, love to know a little bit more about these for you because I think it's so important for all of us to know what that toolkit is for us to recover. Like you've just said then about running and um, getting out. What are some other non-negotiables you have for yourself to be in your best mindset? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think for me, it's, you know, um, being well prepared beforehand because mm. I think again, and I know um, a lot of people use maybe sporting analogies and stuff, but you know, that was a big part of my life in terms of playing, you know, Represented rugby and stuff, so I learned quite a lot, a lot of skills. And I think that you know, the more you prepared, the more you can kind of react and recover in the moment because there's things that'll come naturally because you're prepared. And so I mm-hmm. think you know, for me, a big thing is preparation uh, beforehand because you can kind of be a bit more in control of that. Um, obviously, um, I think you know, it's not always easy, but the confidence, um, you know, um, so just backing yourself um um in 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 those kind of moments and i think just accepting that you know um like i mentioned before when i talk about play in the gray is you know um things are not necessarily always going to go to plan um so being uh accepting or expecting kind of that and so don't when those things don't go according to plan don't get caught up in those little moments um see them rather as an opportunity to kind of how do I adapt or react um, in that, which, um, you know, makes it natural, and you know, because we're not, we're not machines or we're not computers. Um, and so, you know, and, and often you'll be surprised kind of what comes out when you kind of just don't get too caught up in that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's a, that's a cool point, actually. I, I'm kind of reflecting on our own, sort of journey of, of starting this podcast and, and I've kind of shut it now to think of the first um, how critical I probably was on on myself in particular with I remember there was one episode where I said um 12 times in about 90 seconds and I, I was like really wanted to individually cut out every single version of um but but in there you kind of lose you lose the authenticity and you lose the moment of it. And so sort of, you know, I've come to the conclusion now that that it's not perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. You kind of just it's more authentic and it's better if it just flows and it just kind of goes to where it goes. Um something you you said before that kind of stuck with me and I and I thought, what could this, what does this look like for you? Um, but you mentioned confidence, you know, and and kind of just um specifically kind of when you sort of lose your space a little bit and then you sort of draw back on the confidence. Is there, um, I just try to think of what it is for me and, and what it might be for you, but um, is there like a specific, uh, I guess, flow or like a, a specific set of things that you do in order to sort of tap into that confidence? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because I think, um, you know, and, and and it's something that I've, work on a lot like in my leadership journey I guess because I uh, I would definitely not you know put my hand up I'm always the most confident um, or I haven't been the most confident one um, I think it also depends on you know like in the workplace you might be in different um, forums so you might be very confident among your peers mm. um, but then you suddenly walk into a boardroom 
and you need to present the strategy and kind of there's, you know, senior people. And so you might then suddenly not feel that confident because you kind of overwhelmed by who's in the room and, and all that kind of thing. But I think, again, for me, I think what I've, some of the things I've learned over time is just, um, you know, if you, again, if I come back to, you know, being prepared. So in, in Australia, I often talk about, you know, um, if you've done all the research analysis and stuff, you, you're most often the person who knows most about this topic than anyone else in the, yeah. in the room. And so don't get distracted by, um, you know, um, all this work you've done and now suddenly you've kind of walked in there and you, you've thrown all that out because you're, you're kind of less confident. So I think it's backing yourself that you've done the preparation work, you've done the, I think you've got the experience, like for other people it might be, you know, I've done this 10 years, like I've got the experience. Um, mm. And it's not, you know, it's not it's not that kind of being ego driven or kind of, you know, it's, it's just confidence. Mm. Um, so I think it's that balance between I've got the ex- experience um, or the, I've done the work um, and so I can back myself, um, but not that kind of ego bit where you're not open to listening or kind of, you know, uh, other ideas that uh, you, so that, um, yeah. So, so that's definitely one part of, of that for me. And I think the other one for me is just, um, and this sounds a bit, bit strange, but just mentally sometimes thinking, you know, um, uh, of role models who who show that confidence that mm. you might be looking for and kind of just saying, you know, what is their body language? What do they, how do they kind of behave or um, manage themselves um, mm. to do that and, and try and learn from others? Yeah. So true. Mm. Who are some of those influences for you, Charles? Um. Yeah, I mean Australian you, rugby players, of course, not so, no. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I won't uh, even I would, no, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> I'd, I'd suggest that you maybe um look get off this call now. Look over yeah. look look over to your homeland for some more inspiration <laughs> than the than the current day wallabies. No disrespect to the current day wallabies. But. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but it's good timing with the World Cup kicking off. So um we'll, we'll it's definitely open. But um yeah, no, I think there's definitely sporting, you know, but but too, you know, it's a, it's a, we have a bit of a laugh, but like, you know, I, I played a lot of rugby in Australia as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. I looked at people like John Eels, um, you know, phenomenal leader, I think, like, yes. you know, when I, I was, um, you know, just charismatic, calm, but that strong sense of presence, um, you know, um, earning respect, I guess, from the team, um, those kind of things. Um, uh, my 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 kids will always uh, laugh at me when I say this, but you know I I, I love bear grills because of the adventure bit, but yeah, but just yeah. the whole mindset, nature, confidence, uh, you know about getting out of situations, um, you know, and and I, I often talk about like you know the three R's, and this is where I think that adventure survivalist comes in because you mm. need to be ready, you know, prepared, ready, you need to be resourceful. Um, and you need to be obviously resilient because if there's setbacks and stuff. And so that's how I like talk to my team and, and other people about, um, you know, leadership and team and working through that gray is mm. those three R's I think is, is definitely important. Yeah. Yes. I've got a Bear Grylls book on my bedside table at the moment actually. And yeah, so good. So, so good. That's beautiful. Yeah. We, um, we both used to work at Flight Centre 
before Illuminate and John Eels was actually on the board there and um, had the opportunity of listening to him and, and meeting him. Um, and, yeah, such a well-respected now, you know, post-rugby, obviously in the rugby days, yeah. but now as a businessman and, yeah, just a, a great guy. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Um what, what do you do these days to keep developing yourself? Because obviously you've got this experience and you've had, um, yeah, lo- lots of life experiences, lots of role models in the past. But what do you do these days to keep going and keep growing yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think development never never stops. And I think it's, um, you know, so, um, yeah, I think it's a range of things. So I think, um, you know, I, I love connecting with people that I can learn from um, and um uh, you know, inside of work and outside as well. So um, I like, um, you know, connecting with people who've, who are either like if I talk about the corporate world, like, you know, who've, who've um, done some really great work and you can learn a lot from them and they can challenge you. Um, so, you know, mentors, um, those kind of um, relationships um, mm. outside of work as well because they, they can bring a different perspective. Um, I love reading lots of things. So, so you know, um, autobiographies, books, uh, nonfiction is my kind of big, big thing. And so I, I, I think you can learn a great deal um, from that as well. Um, and then just um, experience, um, again, that kind of play in the grey, but taking opportunities when they come up that might be slightly different or outside of your normal, what you've done before, because I think then obviously you're forced to, extend and grow and kind of yeah. you know um, learn some new things and so I think you can learn a lot through that and um yeah the the inquiry adventures was you know important for me as well because I feel um and I've I'd love to do this for my kids when they grow up is to kind of go go start something outside of work like start a small thing it doesn't matter if it's successful or not but I think the amount you learn um just in doing that is is huge because you're you've got very limited resources, time. Um, it's you need to work it all out. Um, you need to kind of learn about people and um, connections and all those kind of things. And I think that what you can learn just by doing something, a little side passion or a project or a hobby, is is you can learn a lot from. Yeah, it's so great because I feel like. Sometimes people, uh, it's like, oh, if I'm not all in, I can't do it. And it's not saying you're not all in, but you can work in your regular job and also dedicate and be all in. Um, you know, there's there'd be a lot behind the scenes, but then there's the connections you have um, in the country and then people can coordinate different things. So, yeah, I love that. And, and more and more I feel like we're getting into, what do they say, the gig economy, but people doing things that they're really passionate about, which, yeah, it's a great reminder. What are those things you want to do? Just go and go and start them and the things we can learn and the doors they can open could be extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I think, that um, you know, um, that curiosity mindset I think yeah. is important. Like just being curious and um, you know, um, and and then just go and explore. I think nowadays with technology, um, it's much easier to have access to yeah. learn more about a particular thing that you might be curious about. Um, you know, YouTube videos or just podcasts or you know those kind of things. And so I think it's um, yeah, that people have have lots of options available. 
Yes, so good. I've even, you know, just thinking about your TEDx, just even downloading the TED um, app sometimes and just like surprise me on what you, what yeah. people speak about. You're like, oh, I wouldn't have necessarily searched for X, Y, or Z, but when you start listening, it just opens opens up your mind. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. So great. So great. Charles, with Inquasi Adventures, where where and, and kind of what does – you know, success look like over a long period of time. I guess, like right now, you've you've achieved absolutely a, a mountain of success. You've got, you know, incredible stories there. You've got like meaningful pursuits. You've got infrastructure there. Um, it, if you fast forward, say five, ten years time, what does what does your life look like, and and how big a part of that is your life? Do you think? Yeah, um, interesting question. I think. It, um, yeah, I think um, we'd, we'd love to grow it, obviously. Um, um, you know, uh, I think for us, um, it's it's really, you know, that's how um, when uh, we kind of really thought about what are we actually doing here? Like, so the, the vision of changing lives one adventure at a time. So I think for us, it's really about um, getting, you know, obviously more people through the adventures and, and changing those lives. But I, I almost, I spoke to someone the other day about it. It's, it's, um, um, creating more stories, and and so um, you know, Cornell Annika, who's part of part of this in Africa, like we've spoken about, we'd love to maybe uh, with each adventure that we go on, that there's always one or two stories that just stand out that that was created out of this adventure. So you mm-hmm. know, like it was the story of Ria, and when we we're in the bush, there was a story about like the encounter with elephants that was quite unique and. We'd love to kind of maybe write those stories down and create this book that um, you know we could maybe make available to to people because not everyone obviously can come on these adventures, but I think through people just maybe find interesting stories in these books that we've um, that I almost would say we haven't written right. The adventurers and the people who've come with us have written these stories together, um, or, or these stories were written together. Um, I think is something that I think is quite special and 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 kind of uh, that could you know we'd love to see come out of this. Oh, that's a beautiful yeah, awesome. vision. Yeah, mm. it's a beautiful vision. Thank you for that, um, Charles. Got one last question for you today, I think. And then um, the the question is, what is the kindest thing that someone's done for you? Yeah, this, this I, th- I thought this is such a clever question that you guys have, and it can be quite tricky, right? Because mm. you kind of made me made me pause and think quite a bit. Um, but yeah, for me, I think I, I kind of looked at across my my journey and career and, and 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 personal life and stuff, and I think it's the gift of um, opportunity. Um, I think is is what I would say. Um, you know, I, I look at my career. Um, like I mentioned, I started on the grad program in in a you know Bank of South Africa. Um, I was very young, but I worked with an incredible leader, um, Anthony, and and he just backed me and gave me all this opportunity to because we started something very new in the bank, and there was only three of us. But he just gave me the opportunity to take this and run and and stuff and through that you know I I gained a huge amount of experience and and confidence and stuff in starting a career um, and then I just looked at my whole kind of career like that and the the moments that stood out for me like you know here in Australia I've had op- 
worked at places where leaders have given me opportunity to take a bigger role or to take something new. Um, and then in my personal life, it's just, you know, uh, again, you know, if I look at sporting, there were coaches that stood out that gave you that opportunity to go and play that role or to go and represent Western Australia or play Australian schoolboys or something. Um, and in Quasi Adventures is, is perfect for me again because, um, you know, we partnered with this organization by for P. Nikolai gave us that opportunity. Um, so it's through that that we could make Inquisit Adventures work. Um, it's the, the, um, yeah. And then personal life, like my wife and, and kids, they, you know, they, we just, I, so I think it's really about giving people, creating and giving people those opportunities as you connect with them, yeah. um, is, is to me, I think one of the, the greatest gifts someone's given me that I hope I can give other people as well. Oh, that's well, Charles, so amazing. It, it sounds like you are. Um, it absolutely sounds like you are. And and uh I can't wait to follow along um and and hear a little bit more. And when our when our daughter goes We've from got six ten more to years we'll be on one of your 16, adventures. We'll be on one of your <laughs> adventures, or maybe you reduce a minimum age. Um and we'll teach her teach her how to fight a lion in the meantime. Yeah. So um uh but yeah, it, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today and, and hearing hearing your story and kind of what makes your heart beat. I think, you know, it, it's the, your passion and passions like yours that that make the world go around and, and make it a better place. So thank you. Yeah, no, no thank you very much. And, yeah, definitely love to to get you guys on. Uh, maybe you can help create one of those stories for for our vision of, of the book. But, yeah, no, been no, honor. yeah and, and keep up the, the podcast. I really enjoy it. Um, like I mentioned, um learning from others and that's how I kind of you know found the podcast and like to listen to other people's leadership journeys and so yeah great thank you well thank you so much Charles and we'll see you on an adventure soon thank you <laughs> thank you thank thanks, you thanks Charles thanks for joining us on the lead with courage podcast we illuminate leadership and it's our mission to inspire and grow the leaders of today to create a better tomorrow We hope and trust that this episode has given you some insights and joy to empower you to live your biggest, best life. If you did enjoy the episode, we'd be so grateful for you to rate and share wherever you listen to this podcast. And until next time, go and lead with courage. Luminate Leadership is not a licensed mental health service or a substitute for professional mental health advice, treatment or assessment. Any conversation in this podcast is general in nature. And if you're struggling, please see a healthcare professional or call Lifeline on 131114.